is up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is blackballed well um before we start the show today i want to quickly and non-specifically or at least i don't want to get into details um about last night's show uh the interview didn't work out tech issues um and then everyone thought i was really baked or on shrooms or on shatter there's a couple other ones someone asked me if i started drinking again um, because apparently I looked really um, exhausted and <clears throat> there was a reason for that that I posted on Twitter, but I was not high. That's all I really want to say. Um, I wasn't high. I wish I was, <laughs> but I wasn't. Um, and so let's just clear that up. So that's cleared up. And yeah, so today I'm not going to do a drawn out introduction because uh, at by this point, she doesn't need one. I first interviewed her on June 29th and she told a very heart-wrenching uh, story about what her life was like uh, as a child and you know some of the awful things that happened to her at the hands of a person that she knew inside the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and we are here today to sort of talk about an update on what has transpired since that interview and just generally you know how you doing and uh, and and yeah here she is Cheryl Hope Cheryl how are you hold on there you are boom <laughs> How are good, you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. My voice is going now because, you know, but otherwise I'm good. So I now I sound fucked up. Now people are going to be like, are you, are you on acid this time? Like, what's going on? Um, He's just tired, guys. He's just tired. That's right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> lo- so much has happened since our first interview. There's a lot been, has happened. Yeah. Um, bef- before the interview, you had filed a police report. After the interview, it looked like, it, it, what was it, passed to the High Crimes Division in Regina? Yeah, yeah, it's a division in Regina, yeah. Yeah, and um, both of us, and I would probably guess that a lot more on your end, um, since that interview, things just kind of exploded. I I don't know how else to put it, because the the amount of people that I have, that I have, uh, that have reached out to me um, is just enormous. And I know that people, like, you've received probably double what I've received, and um, I wanted to start this podcast sort of asking about that because it's something that we we have in common to a certain degree. Um, I at first found it really interesting and like, okay, this is, you know, this is starting something. Let's dig in and see what's happening. And I'm still doing that. But I have to spread it out now. You know, like some of the content is, first of all, it's extraordinarily brave for the people to be reaching out and talking about their stories like that. But the content... Um, sometimes it's just really dark and, and I have to like take a couple of days off. Like I was joking yesterday that when I took a week off covering the brethren, I did light stories like um, trans activism and uh, urban warfare, <laughs> you know, the, the lighthearted subjects that doesn't stress me out, it seems. Um, but, but it's the greatest stress because it feels like something is being accomplished. And I just kind of want to know what your perspective is on that. Yeah, it's, it, it it completely exploded on my end. Um, I swear I've heard from three quarters of Maple Creek, which is 
completely comforting to me. Um, I've been very appreciative of all the support that I've got from the community. Um, it is it's hard though. It's hard with the stories of ex-members that have come forward and it's just heart-wrenching. It's really heart-wrenching. And I get, I get, and I mean, it's, I had to seek out another therapy just to kind of um, balance everything. It's, gosh, it just plays on the heart. It just plays on the heart with what do we do with this? How do we fix this problem? For me, it's not about, um, I can't really partake in kind of the gossip chat that goes on the side of, mm. you know, this person and that person. For me, there's there has to be a goal. There has to be a common thread of why we're doing what we're doing. Otherwise, I'm not doing it, right? Um, I had never planned on making a police statement. Um, took two hours. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> because it was, it was the, the, I mean, the police, it took her two hours to convince me and I understood why she wanted me to do it. Um, for me, it was just... You know, we, we we all know that the judicial system necessarily doesn't keep things accountable. It is the community. It's the community. It's the brave people that from here on out come forward. Um, but I am trying to find balance still on how to not feel responsible for the hundreds of emails that I've gotten um, the people that I that call me that are really struggling unpacking this. Um, I want to be there for everybody. I want to reply to everybody. But at the same time, I'm still healing from my police statement. That police, mm -hmm. statement, um, that police statement took me back to being three. That police statement took me back to, and I haven't left it. I haven't, I, it's, it's been what, we're at two months. Um, I just sought out a new therapy yesterday and I have high hopes for it. It was probably... Um, the most promising therapy that I think that I have found that I know that maybe this might help me is I think it's just, we don't, we don't when people on the outside, just don't necessarily kind of understand how hard this is for us that have moved on. When I left medicine hat way back in 1995, I guess it was, I left that behind me. I didn't keep in contact with anybody. It was just me. I, I, I mean, very few people here and there a couple times, but I didn't keep in contact with people for that reason. I left that part of my life behind. So for, for a lot of us, especially those have been out for 30 years, like 30 plus years to go back and pick up that backpack. And I mean, it lives inside us, right? Yeah. It's not that it's not that it's, we, we just left it behind. It lives in us. It plays out in our everyday life. Like it's, and actually, Every, everyone's everyone's childhood kind of does right so it's like yours would be no different but you had a, that that added attribute of it being like an actual cult um i, I want to continue on that for a second but i i also want to uh, point out that the the sort of um tidal wave that it's unleashed it, it's I've never witnessed anything like this before. I, I've heard either. of stuff like this yeah. happening and you read stories in the media of like, you know, some like the Bill Cosby thing comes to mind, you know, like, like one woman comes forward and then a hundred came forward. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that is um, promising and it makes me feel optimistic in certain ways. But then I realized that if you imagine the, the mountain that women have to climb in order to find justice for an assault that happened a long time ago, period, it is a very big mountain. Then you add the secrecy of a community uh, that uses faith as a weapon and a shield. And 
it's extraordinary. Like the, you know what I mean? Like the, the sheer weight and volume of the obstacles that lay ahead are, you know, not insurmountable because I, I, I am an optimist, but it is very difficult stuff. Like, you know, I don't know, I don't know if people appreciate that when you mix just sort of like the typical, um, you know, seeking of justice for sexual assault. Um, and then coupling that with like a mechanism, like a, like a, an extremist religion group or a cult where secrecy and weird loyalty oaths and, you know, uh, the insular culture that, that is, that just takes that regular mountain for women and just turns it into a planet. And it is remarkable watching you and seeing the difference between the first time that we spoke and, and the woman I see in front of me. And I know you probably have moments where you think that what I'm saying right now is, is nonsense. And I get that too, but you know, uh, it's, it's courageous. And, and, you know, I'm just, um, I'm just wondering what, what you see as an end game to all this, or is there one, or are there certain benchmarks that you think you need, we want to achieve? I'm using we, because I feel like, I'm in the trenches kind of with you a little bit, but you know, I, I, I should have came at this like a journalist many years ago because I find it so interesting in in, in the way that, uh, you know, you and I are kind of handling this, but at the same time, I'm just, you know, I'm just sort of in awe of watching all these people grow. So I don't know, like, I'm not looking at it like a journalist, like I'm not being objective. I was telling you this the other day. I'm not objective about the Plymouth Brethren Christian church they're a fucking dangerous cult. Like I, I, that's not an objective opinion. So where do you want to go from here? You know what? I, um, I, 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 this, I look at this every morning. I look at this every morning and make sure that I always have my goal. Otherwise it's too overwhelming. Number one, accountability, right? It is 100% accountability. Um, there's many benchmarks. I am very, I realize I'm a realist when it's coming to this, that this is a very slow process. This is a very um, meticulous process. But at the same time, um, I'm not going to let go of my dream. My number one dream is I want I want my parents to be able to pass away in a safe church, a, a church that, that they have kind of gone in and been able to um, make right what's happened. And I know in their mind, they think that it has, but I'm talking in regards to me. I am completely talking in regards to um, the secrecy that was kept about what was going on. I mean, I've had multiple people come forward with, look, I know my parents knew, and it's a really hard, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a super hard pill to swallow, knowing the amount of people that came forward that had this awareness and nobody did anything because they were too scared. So number one, that is, it's, there's this goal of, um, and I know it's my, my parents are a victim in this too, to a point, but they also have a sense of accountability. Same as my siblings, both of they, they all have an accountability they have to take, but I want this church to become a church again. I don't want, I want it to get rid of the cult. I want, I have nothing against mainstream church, nothing against it whatsoever. Mm. People need it. People thrive on it and it's there for a reason. So give it to them. The second thing, um, I guess is for every survivor that has left, our time is now, our time is now, our time is about, we, we need to try and create these safe landing spots for these people to unpack this. Um, this is not a light situation. I've had conversations with people that are really struggling right now. 
um, breaking my heart because I just want to go in and I want to help them. Um, so we are, I have been, I have been talking with um, a few people. We're trying to create a core group to be able to start something that helps these victims, that gives them the, um, the tools that they need to be able to take the steps that I took. And I mean, I am not taking, I have not taken my steps in grace. Let me tell you, it has been the messiest thing I've ever done. Um, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I just want to, I want to throw it all in because what we're chewing off is so huge, but I know we can do it. I know we can do it, but it can't just be one person. It, it's about all of us joining together, including the community of Maple Creek with the people that have come forward with such vital information, but yet they want to remain anonymous. And I understand that. I completely understand wanting to remain anonymous, but the police won't have anything to do with that. And yeah. so it's too difficult because it, yeah. it, 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 it means that a mechanism exists that can be so easily tampered with that, you know, it, it makes people think, well, it's not that I think she's a liar i just don't know how to tell if she's telling the truth right like as and people get into those situations um when you put more skin in the game you know when you file police reports when you you know when you pursue it and you speak out and you do all these things uh, that adds a, a veneer of truth to it that i think is is what police are looking for too mm -hmm. right like yeah, you know I, I bet yeah. they were surprised that someone um who was victimized so long ago was was being so detailed with the report like decades later i i, I mean i'm sure it happens but I, it can't be that common right like mm -hmm. and i um, i mean yeah i just i i just think that we need to be taken seriously um like we really really need to be taken seriously and i think that's the frustration out of all of this that we're not going anywhere we're not going anywhere. We literally well, are not going anywhere. And how do you I'm mean? Like, what, what do you mean when you say that? Because um, because the, this is probably the only thing I'm going to try to push back on <laughs> this whole show, because I want to make you not just feel better. But I I think that um, there there is a very like the incrementalism isn't as steep as you would want it to be in the uh, journey towards progress or justice. Right? I agree with you there. But before June 29th nothing was happening no right your words and i'm telling you like the people still email, email me or message me on twitter or something t saying you know like that show changed my life like it allowed me to like find bravery to to say things that i i had bottled up for so many years so th that's the extent of my pushback because I, and but uh, what i like about what you just said that i just pushed back on is that um it, it does uh tend to sometimes motivate people Nothing's yeah, happening. Action. Well, let's make something happen. You know, yeah. like, and so that's what that. I'm referring to is that there's a there's a level of listening, and then there's a level of listening with action, and that's what I'm asking for. That's what I'm asking for from the town of Maple Creek. I am asking for every single person who has sent their prayers my way, who has messaged me. I've got hundreds of messages. We have to have action. And if you if you have told me a story of what you've witnessed or what you have heard those things they have to come forward to the police or we have like i can't i can't just say hey go here and interview these people he needs this this lead investigator that i'm working with i need the town of maple creek to when i mean be serious i mean be serious enough to have action within your own community yeah. this man is still 
he's still wandering the streets. He's still mm. out there. And I can't do anything. The police can't do anything. And my case is very, very complex. It's very do you, multi-layered. Do you know anyone named Vinny? <laughs> we can find someone to do something, Cheryl. Right. We'll talk after <laughs> after the show. But, but I hear you. I, I, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm only using levity here because I get it. Like it, it's a it's a steep hill to climb for justice. And it makes it even worse. I, I'm wondering, maybe it's because I was raised Catholic and now, um, you know, I'm a non-believer. I, I have recently, and I won't get into it, but I've recently kind of like demilitarized my brain when it comes to religion um, from meeting people like Ray Routh on the network, meeting people like yourself. Ron Fox, I found very interesting because yeah, me too. Yeah. because he did some of the horrible things. He was part of the team horrible uh, it, w- within the church in Australia. He was one of the, he was the, the leader. And he was in charge of like that doctrine of separation and, and like help tear families apart. And I, I noticed that brethren, ex-brethren members, they fall into one of two categories. They fall into many, but in, for the purpose of this discussion, you know, either they're like, they just don't believe anymore. They're jaded and they don't believe, or they want to find another place to put their faith. I, I find that extraordinary. But what I don't understand is because when I was raised Catholic, um, we all had something that we refer to as Jesus fear. And Jesus fear was when you like didn't say certain phrases like Jesus having Christ because you still got, even though maybe you were a lapsed Catholic, you still got that little jolt of like maybe Jesus is watching, you know, you know what I mean? That was Jesus fear. Why isn't there any such thing as Jesus guilt? Like, like we were talking off air and I think I joked to you something like, you know, it'd be interesting to be like, to have a skit where Jesus is there defending the brethren position of, you know, not doing anything about child abuse. I wonder what Jesus would say about, you know, his loyal flock doing it like that. And, and then it dawned on me again, that this is a, is a uh, cult that has a present day deity. So they probably don't even like look at things in terms like, would Jesus really approve of, you know, this corporate influence peddling we're doing Bruce and Bruce would just be like, I talked to Jesus last night. He's fine. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So, and, and so, um, I don't even know what my question is, but like, oh, the Jesus fear. So, I mean, it, are you you were a member? Um, I know it was a long time ago, but are is anybody in a in an organization like that susceptible to like be guilted by the goodness of Jesus and how he would never fucking stand for what they're doing? Like, would that is is that just outlandish? I don't know. I'm 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 sure. I like. I mean, the fear the fear they use on you is huge, right? It is. It's. Yeah, it's in every, every, and I mean, that's the reason why I guess my mom didn't go through to the police when she needed to go through to the police, right? Um, yeah. I, like, I guess, like, I feel, I honestly, on one hand, I feel bad for my parents. I do feel bad for my parents because of the position that they would have been put in. So I've taken that um, empathy that I had, and I'm kind of frustrated and angry right now, but angry in a sense that it's not at them, it's at the situation. And I know that they're going to have to talk to the police. And I literally, if I was able to sit there and say something to them right now, it'd be like, you know what, mom and dad, when that police shows up on your doorstep, if you are a true Christian, Hmm. if you truly believe that what you're sitting in is not a cult, you will tell them the truth. You'll have no issue. If you truly are a follower of Christ, if you truly believe in the Lord Jesus, you will know what to do. It's this, the time to qu- stop lying is now. We have to stop lying. We have to stop. The covering up has to stop within that church in order to remain a church. And if they can't do that, 
It's a cult. Yeah. yeah. It's a cult. They have to know that it's a cult. Well, <laughs> Richard Marsh is here as well. Richard, you've been listening. Um, uh-huh. Can we can we find a way to instill Jesus fear and to, you know, motivate these people to be more like Jesus? You know, it's very funny you you say that because um, when I was when I was a kid, um, my mother always used to say to me if I'd done something wrong, she would always say, "Well, what would Mister Symington think? What would Mister Symington say?" <laughs> oh and my God! Imagine the bracelet. The church, that bracelet would be awful because that's the "What would Jesus do?" bracelet. That's very famous. What would Bruce? Yeah, do? Oh my God! But I didn't know that. And and then when I left the brethren, I find that it's a very common phrase for Christians to say is. What would Jesus do? But no one ever said that in the Brethren. They said, what would Mr. Simonton do? What would Mr. Hales do? And so kind of your answer about a present day deity is, yes, they do have a present day deity. And and he lives in Australia. Yeah. I bet you if you look really closely at some of them crucifixes, (laughs) that's not Jesus up there, but that's Brucey. (laughs) You know, it's just like what would Symington do? Like, that is insane. That that, that yeah. means that they put themselves ahead of Jesus, really. Yes, they do. Uh, and the other thing that the other thing that struck me, um, actually, before I left, was listening to some some young guys in the Brethren um, in their late teens, and they were they were telling a joke, and it was one of these jokes where you know uh, it's about the gates of heaven and saint peter and someone gets there and what they say to saint peter and what happens next and this joke went on to what happens when you meet jesus in heaven okay and i was listening to this and i was thinking well this is a bit off because like brethren don't normally tell jokes about jesus because it's considered a little bit iffy Mm -hmm. and then it occurred to me that uh you would never ever ever hear anyone making a joke about bruce hales Oh no! So, and then it then of course the obvious conclusion is that they have far more reverence and respect for Bruce Hales than they do for Jesus because they'll happily make a joke about Jesus or a joke about God, but they would well. I mean, first of all, how could you make how could you make a joke about such a stud like Bruce Hale? I mean, it's impossible. (laughs) Look at that man; he's a stallion. But that's I mean, why they get lost in the in in the accountability, right? So that's yeah. and that's the plea I would take to my parents is that that's where they get lost in this accountability is because, I mean, Jesus would have dealt with this when I was three years old when the first time that my mom came across the first sign of this, or when someone had said, "Hey, she shouldn't be going to Ellen's house so much." Yeah, right. It, like, it, that it yeah. like if you when you keep your level on. Um, in the Christian world within Jesus, instead of somebody who is more, almost more powerful than Jesus. That's what it is. And like, this isn't about making like, and I I know my parents and my brothers will be watching this. And I wanted to say, this doesn't mean I'm an opposer mom. This doesn't mean, this does not mean I'm an opposer. What this means is that I'm trying to help you see where you lack your accountability and where your accountability gets muddled. It is insane that you have to even explain to her that raping children is something that maybe should be dealt with. Like, and I'm not trying to trash your mom. Any like, because I do understand that, uh, at least theoretically, because obviously I wasn't there. But like, you know, the the living in a state of manipulation and in a state of isolation and coercion and abuse and you know all these things, like, it it shapes your mind in a certain way. 
Um, I, I find, you know, I guess maybe it's because a lot of us are cocky and we were like, well, there's no way a cult would be able to brainwash me. It's like, well, if you came out of your mom into the hands of a cult, you're probably going to be, you know, not, you're probably going to be susceptible. Um, yeah. also this is just a random thought. How did St. Peter go from like the head apostle to like the door guy in heaven? How did that happen? <laughs> maybe, maybe Bruce Hales is like, fuck, I'm going to be the door guy. <laughs> I'm gonna like take down Jesus. Uh, oh, I think Bruce took over that job. I mean, actually, you know, you say that in jest, but it was it was seriously put round among the brethren a few years back, and I'm sure this originated from Bruce himself. Uh, and this is like a slight variation on the door metaphor. The, the Christians talk a lot about the Book of Life. Is your name written in the Book of Life? You know, if you're saved, your name's written in the Book of Life. Uh, and the scripture is that. In Revelation at the final judgment, God looks through this book, and if your name is in the book of life, you're saved. And if your name's not in the book of life, then you, you're chucked into the hell where you cry and sizzle. It was seriously put around and spoken about publicly amongst the brethren that Bruce Hales has the ability to put your name into the book of life or to erase your name from the book of life. So he is actually he is actually Saint Peter. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if he decides, if you annoy him and he wants to cast you into hell for eternity to fry, then he can do that. And if you're did, nice did, to him and send him a generous donation, he might just grant you eternal salvation where you can play harps eternally. And yeah. Around Jesus gets cloud. his tithing of 10%. Yeah. So he's yeah. good, right? Like, we're all happy. Yeah. It, it, it's um, like, did the Plymouth Brethren dictionaries, like, just remove the word evidence? Like, like these extraordinary claims. I'm going to put your book. Like, like if that was me, yeah. he'd be like, I'm going to put your name, James, right in that book of life. Oh, yeah, but I mean, you I'd like to see. I, hold on, I'd like to see that, Bruce. Bruce, that'd be great. Well, Can I see that? Well, no, right. it's a private relationship between me and JC. Oh, well, how will I know that you do it? Well, because I'm telling you. Well, that's yeah. not evidence. You're just telling me. Like, like these conversations don't happen, obviously. But I mean, why isn't that fraud? Like. You know what? I get religion. You can believe in whatever you want, and that's totally fine. But I draw the line when there's a guy that's living among us who leads an organization as dangerous as this one, making claims that he can speak to God and influence Jesus's decision making. If you make that claim as a leader of a present day church, you need to go to court and start giving evidence. And if you can't do that, you need to be charged with fraud. Do you not? Like, is that? Is this yeah, like I mean, wishful thinking? There's lawyers out there going, "Good luck with that, buddy." Like I, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense because I don't. I'm not it, a lawyer. It, it was but. even even suggested quite seriously that Jesus actually consults with Bruce Hales before he does anything. And th th this is, you know, I, I'm not being sarcastic. I, I'm, I'm not yeah. making this up. This is this is their regard for the guy and their fear of him. You know, and they believe he can read your thoughts and they believe it's impossible to deceive him. And they believe that he, he cannot sin and he's never, ever done anything wrong in his life. Um, yeah, but I mean, look at him. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious from his face, isn't it? You know? Like, look yeah. at that mane. You know, the horse in the horse, uh, in the four horsemen of the apocalypse won't have a mane like that. Look at that. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, okay, so one of the things that I wanted to talk to both of you about was the um other than the the charges and the court cases and all that kind of stuff the um the, the amount of people that are coming forward just with like stories of other people and and i there's a couple things that i just wanted to i know you've 
probably heard of it, but I, I want to sort of get your thoughts because I'm trying to figure out ways to not just to separate it from the pile of organizations who are just expressing freedom of religion. And so um, I'm just going to do a rapid fire of the people that I've talked to. So there's the one guy who told me about uh, be, being chemically castrated when he was caught masturbating and they were, they used the same drug, the Plymouth doctor did that they use on, on like pedophile rapists. Right. So they chemically crash for masturbating. Right. Um, and then there was the woman uh, who was like covered in like a chemical and she lost her baby. And I'm not necessarily saying there was a cause and effect there, but both of those elements of that story are really crazy. The, the branding of this organization as a cult, it's obviously proving to be difficult. Um, but these stories that are coming out are just, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think they're, they're, they all have this value of like the entire motif of, of the branding of this organization as a cult. And then I have these like moments where I'm like, no one's going to care. So I want to know where you guys are at in your own minds about how you feel and how confident you are. We'll start with Richard um, and, and, you know, about what's happening because you've been through a gauntlet in many, many ways. And it's just, you know, now it's basically your life, um, except Kenesha is obviously the heart and soul of your life. And please listen to everything she says because she's awesome. <laughs> she's okay. <laughs> but where's your head at, Richard, with all this? Well, as to whether the brethren are a cult or not. No, we know they are, but what, like yeah. the frustrations of like not like what's kind of what Cheryl was saying earlier, like we're not going anywhere. I get that. I'm trying to be optimistic, but I understand what she means. Like the, it is difficult to get it into the ether, you know? Well, and I'm wondering I, if you I have think, confidence that we will. Yeah, I mean, I think it was very key what um, uh, was it, Dr. Professor Yanya Lalic uh, said. There was a discussion with her. Um, as to well, you know, how come we can't hold these these cults accountable? How can we get around the religious um, freedom kind of get out of jail free card that they wave around? And her answer was very simple: is that you have to wait till they do something criminal, um, and that threshold has been clearly passed. And that is why I'm very confident that. Uh, we will see this thing through. And, and I've no doubt the brethren will, as they always do, hire the top lawyers and throw every obstruction in the path of um, a... Yeah, the, top lawyer, the top lawyer is the guy that hired someone to kidnap you. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I think he's probably... His reputation's a little damaged at the moment, so they'll, they'll find <laughs> someone else. Um, uh, and yes, that will, you know... They will manage to stave, stave things off for five years or so, possibly by legal means. But there is a there's a crystal clear case for a class action lawsuit against them. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is if you look at the residential school scandal, that's not even a strong enough word for it, the horrific residential school matter that came up in Canada and resulted in, um, you know, a very, very large sums of compensation being paid out we have all ex exactly the same elements here in maple creek you have the sexual abuse of children who are uh, under the care of a of, of a christian group uh, you have the covering up of that abuse and the protection of the abuser and you have documented cases of 17 young people over a span of two years who were ripped away from their parents and the families are broken up. And this isn't, this is all at the instigation and by the rules and regulations 
of the cult and with the complicity of the global lead of the cult, Bruce Hales and John Hales. Um, um, actually, I'm just going to correct you on one thing because someone's going to email. Um, yeah. The residential school compensation, <laughs> most of it went to the Catholic Church's own legal fees. That was sort of the well, scandal. No, I, I, I can't remember the exact amount. It was like thirty million or twenty-three million, whatever that was. And yeah. they 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 won some legal challenge or whatever to uh, allocate the definition of the compensation to include their own legal fees. So they totally yeah. skimped out on that too, um, which I, which is shocking. The Catholic Church, like doing something untoward. I was shocked to hear that. Um, Cheryl, what about you? Where is your call? Like you sort of touched on it already, but where? Actually, maybe I should flip the question a, a little bit differently. I feel like there are a lot of options. I, I feel like like there are a lot of ways to sort of get a ball rolling in different areas. Like there's a nonprofit kind of like help yeah. center for ex-cult members, maybe not just PBCC members, but like other cults as well. Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, pursuit of finding a lawyer who can get the ball rolling to pass legislation that specifically deals with... Um, coercion and isolation and manipulation on, but but it gets tangled in that whole freedom of expression freedom of religion thing hi i'm steve yurko and i'm tara sands now available from maji media is our new podcast four kids flashback Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. But as I was saying to Richard the other day on the phone, even freedom of speech has that whole don't yell fire in a crowded theater thing because freedom of speech has limits too in your opinion don't you think freedom of religion should have limits as well like has to oh, like oh i don't know um abusing people their entire lives it, it has to like yeah. that's and it's one of the things that i've become so compassionate or like so passionate about is being able we, i kind of got into an argument with someone on facebook over this um with he thought i was taking away his you know freedom of religion i said that's not what i'm trying to take away from this like everybody there's there's there needs to be freedom of religion but there has to be laws within that freedom of religion so that things like this doesn't happen and i mean the amount of stories that have come my way this like i mean my, i'm not just the only horror story right there's story after story after story after story after story after story that come through that that's kind of why i sit back now and i know i know we have to make some sort of a foundation um, we need to make therapy available for people. Most of these people don't have finances to go and get themselves therapy that they need. And now we're kind of going ahead with this class action lawsuit and asking these people to unpack this stuff. And yet they need therapy at the same time, right? Or they need to have some sort of safe place. And I guess, so my goal right now is creating a safe landing pad 
for those in the community of Maple Creek that need to come forward, there's different ways of coming forward, right? Um, there's, there's ways of making it safe for you to come forward and say what you need to say. Also for the community or for all the ex-members that have come my way and are on the fence, um, want to come forward, but they're afraid to. Um, so many of them, so many of them are afraid. And so what I want to say to each one of those of you is that, Hey, the ball's rolling. It's really rolling. This week was a huge week of fantastic breakthroughs and support from the police and the police are on this whole team from the GIS unit are understanding what we're dealing with. They, they've got it. They understand it now. Can you give me a couple of those bullet points of the, these developments? Uh, I know there's probably some stuff that you can't really get into specifically, but what kind of like, you know, milestones or whatever you want to call them, have we, did, did we reach in the last couple of weeks? Um, well, for number one is the police, right? It's been, been mm. able to sit down with the police and be able to get, it's, it's communicating what we're dealing with. So he likened it to this. He realizes that it's very much similar to the um, Christian Legacy Academy School. I hope I got that name right. Um, in Saskatchewan, so, that one? In Saskatchewan, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he, he's understanding that we are dealing with the same kind of situation as that. The thing is, is we've got so many layers or so many levels to this because we know with Maple Creek alone um, that that can turn into a class action lawsuit just on its own, right? Without saying any of the names, um, can you remind me, because I'm going to mess it up, the detail that you told me today, we've had Carmen Drever on before. Um, she had uh, painstakingly detailed a bunch of stuff that was happening in Maple Creek many years ago and it had a list of names of kids and you were on that name when i say kids they were teenagers as well yeah we were teenagers i think there might have even been someone that was 21 or something but whatever mm -hmm. they were kids as you know as far as it goes um what is the what what did you tell me about that list and what was happening because I, there's been something there is wasn't there some progress so there just, regarding the names i think carmen's contact like carmen's in the process of contacting them all and finding where they're out where their heads are at for this class action lawsuit right mm -hmm. um but there's some that are struggling. There's some that are really struggling unpacking this. Like it's, this is heavy, heavy stuff. So I think the breakthrough with that is just being able to kind of get a hold of everybody, find out where their heads are at and let them know that this is, this is, this is, this is on, we're going through with this. Right. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, whether I should say this or not, but yes, we're, we're, we're interviewing lawyers at the moment for a class action lawsuit oh don't so, worry they know <laughs> so i just want to i'm just so i to all those ex-members that are out there that kind of think like is this just going to go away and literally have asked me you're still doing this like we're still going through with this this hasn't lost steam no it's only yeah. gained more steam it yeah. has to have the we're building the foundation us. i think is what's happening like yeah. there's no progress or anything but like yeah, like ahead, i mean sure. actual progress but but we're building but progress needs a foundation you know and right now the bricks and mortar of all of these stories that are happening and 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 i'm learning so much richard i i think it was you that told me that that person in the united states who contacted me and and the statue of limitations in her state had expired but there was like an interesting way like a workaround where she could still file a report um it, we don't have to get into that because I'm not even sure if either of us are up to date, but just that willingness that, to become like activated in your own like pursuit of justice, that you educate yourself about the, um, the, the legal system and how it pertains to statute of limitations 
inspired by people like Cheryl who who were able to courageously share their story, that that's a cause and effect that we can build upon. That's the foundation, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, the thing I was I was going to say is that one huge step forward that, that's really happened this week is that the the um, the Saskatchewan police who are conducting this investigation are up to speed with um, they understand uh, in outline what has happened. They understand who the brethren are. They understand this idea of the doctrine of separation and being shut up and being withdrawn from. And one of the biggest barriers to coming forward to speak to the police or indeed to speak to anyone about your tragic history in the Brethren is how hard it is to explain to them exactly what it is that you've come out of, exactly what the Brethren are. And that's maybe one of the things that people causes people to be hesitant to come forward and speak to the police is that they have a fear that the police won't believe that you know, there really are such cults that this kind of stuff happens. Well, that barrier has been overcome because if you come forward and you want to speak to the police about it, you will be speaking to people who already know all that. Um, yeah. and, and so you can you can tell your story and you don't have to explain what shut up means. Yeah, you don't have to explain exactly. what withdrawn <laughs> from means. You don't have to explain what a priest is. Um, all the background, all that preparatory explanation has been done for you and and they're waiting to hear from you and it doesn't have it's, we're not talking just about sexual abuse anymore so this is this is we're talking the physical abuse the mental abuse the emotional abuse that like and i understand like i understand so i'm be, speaking to every ex-member that's out there that is it's hard to step back into that place within us but i can't tell you the freedom that comes from getting back inside there and getting inside that grief, the abandonment, the excruciating um, separation that we still experience to this day. But there is such freedom in getting inside it and being in front of a police officer and having some sort of accountability. There's this switch that flips inside you that's like my body shook from head to toe. It was like my nervous system was like, Lord, for fuck's sakes, it's been 30 years, Cheryl. We finally get to do this. So, like, I just want to kind of explain to these people that even though that is hard, there is this sense of freedom that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense of empowerment that comes with it that I I'm I 110% am going to tell you that when you walk out of there, it is sad. Yes, it is sad. It's hard. It is heavy. It's all those things. But there's a sense of freedom that we have been waiting for. We have been waiting for this moment in time. And, I mean, it's literally been carved out for us to be able to step up on. And it just takes us holding each other's hands. I'm here for you. I mean, I had a talk with a cousin of mine the other night. Broke my heart. He broke my heart with how much he was struggling. And I see he showed up here in the chats. And he's letting, I mean, he's struggling. And I just... Man, I wanted to like grab out my bubble wrap, bubble wrap him home, bring him home with me, and be like, "Here's some apple juice. I'll take care of you." I like because... popping those bubble wraps with my foot, so that might not work out. Do leave a breathing hole, won't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll leave a breathing hole. But it's just, I'm, I understand. I like, I hit this grief every single day, but I'm making this grief give me action. I am making this grief. I'm asking it every morning. 
what, what, what is our goal? Do we have a new goal? Is there another goal that you want to add to this? Where, what is coming up for you? What really did you feel oh, that first night? I, I mean, when I left the first night, that was hard. That was so hard laying on a bare floor in an apartment. And my parents never came looking for me. It was, the, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever get over that. I, I hold it. I wrap it in comfort. I give it what it can have. But I don't know if these wounds are healable. I don't. But I do know that when there's enough of us that hold hands and walk together, we heal together. There's some things that we can't heal alone. And I believe that it takes a community that have been all affected the same way to seriously, this is what I'm talking about, getting serious. We need to get serious and hold each other's hands. I'm, I'm not playing a game here. I would have never in a million years come out with my story if I wasn't being serious. I would have never, nobody needed to know that. I was planning on healing that on my own. Um, but I guess I've been inspired and inspired. I can be quite convincing, you know. It's kind of a flaw and a talent. I'm kidding. I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> I manipulated but you to come just, Everybody, I think it's just like my plea tonight is just to not only to my parents to like stand up and um, if you are Christian and if you are a true follower of Christ, you'll tell the truth. And if you don't, you're in a cult. Yeah, I think the Jesus card is the greatest card in this situation. And and I'm not trying to belittle it. I'm really not. Uh, It seems so self-evident. Yeah, it's not even a card to me. It's literally, it's black and white. This is, you can't make it any more black and white than that, right? Um, And number two is I just want to know, I want to tell the the community of Maple Creek and those ex-members that we are trying to create this safe place. I need you to trust us. I need you to... um, Take that first step and just know that it's okay to it's okay that it feels heavy. It's okay that there's this grief. It is so okay to get this rage coming back. I we all have to we all have to deal with it. The rage is okay. The anger is okay. The bitterness is okay. The resentment is okay. But you make it work for you. It's about putting it in this helium balloon and let us let it carry us through what we need to carry through. We don't need to do this alone. Um, like the police that I'm working with is absolutely incredible absolutely incredible he is so compassionate he's not like a normal police that i have in my mind um he's he literally has been there for me i mean i broke the other morning he called me i was sobbing so hard i couldn't even formulate words and yeah that's what i mean that's what i like the heaviness of the stuff that you're dealing with it 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 is mind-boggling um to me because you know um and you're doing it with such passion because I think you're keeping an eye on what the greater good could yeah, potentially you have do, to. Right? You have to. Otherwise, you get lost in the, um, the you know, I people are making judgments. People make judgments. People are making judgments with who I'm associating myself with. I don't give a shit who has a story. That story needs to be heard. That story has to have a place to land. I don't care. And that story happened. has to have a police report. Yes. <laughs> but it's like. It's, we can't, we need to leave our judgment at home. The judgment needs to stay at home. And I need, I challenge everybody for everybody who's going to come forward because there's a lot of people that are going to start coming forward is I need you to leave your judgment alone uh, at home. Don't, don't bring it in to a place where someone is telling their story. I, we have no, we have no need to judge someone on how they have dealt with their trauma through this. 
there's just no need for that judgment. It has to get put to the side. I need everybody to sit there with their eyes wide open, their hearts wide open, and listen to the hurt. doesn't matter how they dealt with their... If, I don't care if they smoke pot. I don't care if they drink. I don't care what they're doing. Because those are defense mechanisms on how they've dealt with this. So, right, we need to leave our judgments at home. And we need yeah. to be there for these people that are going to start coming forward. Another thing I just really want to quick say is that... This church does not have, um, it's not filled with, with hateful people. There, these are not, there's not, there's a lot of beautiful. A lot of them are victims. Yeah, there are beautiful people in there. Um, like I was sent to Delbert and Claudia's, um, after my big time with Ellen and stuff like that. I remember landing at Delbert and Claudia's. I don't know why. I don't know. Can Um, you tell us what Delbert and Claudia's is? Because I don't think anyone knows what that is. Okay. So Delbert and Claudia is another, there are a couple that, another couple that's from Maple Creek that were inside the church. And um, I ended up there. I don't know how I did ask my sister why, and nobody's really been able to, to give me their answer. I ended up there and I was there for quite some time. And my first night that I was at Delbert and Claudia's, I waited for Delbert to come to the bedroom. Second night, same thing. Waited for Delbert to come to the bedroom. Thinking like, what? Like, this is crazy. Like, why is Delbert not coming into the bedroom? Like, that is so, there. such a mind. Like, right. And it, it, I remember the moment washing dishes at Claudia's kitchen sink. And I swear my whole body exploded. And in that explosion, I remember looking at her and in my head, I'm like, I'm safe here. And that next morning I woke up and I started teaching her son how to walk, doing loops and loops and loops and loops around her, her house and in through the kitchen, through the living room. And I, my stomach released. I didn't feel like I needed to throw up 24 seven. And they are, they were the kindest, kindest couple to me. They literally, in my eyes, saved my life at that age. They gave me this breather that, so these, all the people that are in there are not, they're not bad. These are not bad people in there. I'm just trying to kind of paint this picture that we need to, I would like to return that cult to a church, right? I just, my heart lays with these people inside here. They don't have to leave. I don't expect my parents to come and join my, my world outside here. I don't expect that. I don't expect my siblings to, but I do expect my siblings. If my parents can't hold this situation accountable, I have five siblings in there. My oldest I reached out to took me three months. I sent her a letter, never heard back. It's why I did this podcast. I gave her the opportunity. I think, first of all, bravo. Everything you just said was awesome. Um, And one of the reasons why... um, like I'm listening to you talk about the, you know that couple that saved your life, and I'm listening to you talk about details and how you felt when you left on the night that you left, and you know I'm somewhat frustrated sometimes that I haven't like been able to like we haven't been able to catch the attention of a mainstream outlet. I don't like mainstream outlets, but in this case, I think they would be invaluable in exposing you know helping make this cult a household name. Um. But then I think that if you had start, like if we never met and you didn't go on any type of podcast, especially long form podcast interviews like this, you know, the snippet that people would get from a mainstream reel if they interviewed you would be not that it would be helpful, but it would be so like almost innocuous. Like, I don't know what people would take away from those little sound bites. 
Um, I was hoping that this long form interview style would give mainstream writers or producers or whoever the ability to extract what they wanted so that they could still do the story in whatever way they wanted to do it. And I'm in, I am completely in shock at the lack of break, uh, uh, the lack of courage of these outlets. And I'm not being sarcastic. I know a lot of these outlets get a bad rap and, and you know, uh, I understand that, but a lot of great journalists and great reporters work for them. You know, they just happen to be in a way, and it's not like the cult, but just to use the analogy of being institutionalized, they're basically, you know, doing the bidding of their bosses, just like the brethren are doing the bidding of uh, international renowned power stud, Bruce Hales, you know, and it's one of those, you know, it's just a, it's a small analogy, but they, you know, they're being prevented from doing what they should be doing because orders that come from, there's no courage in taking any religious group to task. I'm hoping that that we can change that, and and that is really for me where I'm not sure you know what's going to happen. I think it's starting. You and I talked a little bit about um, someone interviewing you, so we'll see. I do have that. a reporter that I've I've done an interview with with a reporter. Do you um, know when it's coming out? So no, so he's. I mean, again, it's the same thing that we talk about, right? It's like they have different legalities, right? So. Um, he he's also covered this the Saskatchewan um, uh, situation there, and he did reach out to me, um, an incredible gentleman, and he for that it's just he's got to go back to his boss and see you know and what stage can they can they publish this stuff right? Can you can you tell me some of the things that he said to you that sort of and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus I swear to you I'm just curious as to what he said. When you know when when you guys were talking about what the focus was going to be on and what he was allowed and not allowed to do, like if any of that was covered, I'm just curious. Um, no, he didn't really say what he. he I mean, he took my full story. Like he mm. he really got we got very descriptive with it. Um, and his goal his goal very much was, and I was very specific with what with what our our intention was with this, and it very much, it's about <clears throat> trying to find a way to expose what's happening and has happened in a way that for my goal was to let people know that there's a safety, there's safety in publicity, there's safety in media. Um, a lot of, a lot of ex members and a lot of people that have come my way, they don't find this safety with the police that to be able to say like, here, I've got a police number. You can call, you can give anything to this guy that's covering Saskatchewan. Um, they don't find safety in that. What people find more courage through um, reports being done, things being published, these podcasts, those kinds of things. Every time that I we have a podcast or we have something exposed, I get the emails. People get more courage. I get a phone call. Hey, Cheryl, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm all in now. I'm in. Mm. So, I mean, my whole point for with that reporter was for that, was about telling a story and presenting yeah. this story that created um, for myself a safety space that more people could come forward with. Richard, you also have a ton of experience talking to reporters about um, covering this. What are some of the things that they've said to you? I know a, a couple of them. I we talked. To, I'll just say it because you know it was a good conversation, and we're going to have them on the podcast soon. But Stephen Marr is one of those guys who's, you know, who who is um, going to write a few stories about this. Do you recall what was the kind of things that he was talking about and others um, about the kind of roadblocks that they were facing from editors? Uh, I don't recall 
specifically what Stephen Mars said. Um, it doesn't have to be him, but. But um, I definitely had the experience of um, more, more than once where the journalist uh, was very um, detailed and they, they, they solicited and received a lot of detailed information and they were in conversation with them. They were obviously very keen to publish a, a full and um, unabridged story. And then at the last minute, when it gets to the hands of essentially the the outlet's legal team, yeah. the whole thing gets completely emasculated yeah. Yeah. Or, or canceled completely and just never gets published in spite of a journalist having put uh, six or eight months of solid time into understanding this and writing it all up it just is cancelled and it's the it's not the it's not the journalists and it's not actually their lack of courage it's the lawyers it's the it's the legal it's the legal team inside these legacy media outlets that are yeah. stifling uh, freedom we've of covered um we've covered that before I, I i should probably um preamble this by saying I didn't prove anything. I, I, I'm, I haven't proved, proven the theory that I'm about to share, but it has happened to me, and I know it happened to me, where um, I was doing a story for Post Media a bunch of years ago. I got, a, I had a contract. I started doing some digging. Um, somebody that I had called, um, the focus was about uh, this news guy who allegedly had affairs inside the office, and then allegedly public money from this network was being used to hush the mistresses. So I was trying to dig in, in that story. And the person is like, was like the best known newscaster in Canadian history. Okay. I, people know who he is. I don't want to say it cause I don't feel like going down that road again. But the point, the reason why I'm telling you is because it, I had the contract. It was, it was a, like a six week contract and it was like day four. And my editor, Jordan Tim from national post calls me up and he's like, James, do you know who Jamie Watt is? And I know who Jamie Watt is. Jamie Watt is the CEO I think he's a convicted fraudster, but he's the CEO of Navigator Inc., which is a crisis management firm. He knows everybody. He often has clients that are on, I shouldn't say that, uh, you know, and he knows everybody. Let's put it that way. Um, but all it took was one phone call from the president CEO of Navigator Incorporated, a crisis management firm, to kill my story. And in this case, I have a theory that because Gerald Shapur used to be the prime minister's attorney, used to be the conservative party of Canada's general counsel, used to be, you know, um, uh, I think Pierre Polyev. It doesn't matter. Those two things are just big enough. And if he calls a, a law like the legal team of any media outlet, the lawyers are going to know who he is, even if he's not a household name. And the deference that lawyers have to people with high profile, other lawyers with high profiles, is disgusting. Like, it's staggering, too. Like, they're just like, like you know, Jamie Watt's not even a lawyer, but he has that pull. Shapur probably has that pull. If, you get, if you're a lawyer and you get a call from Gerald Shapur, the former prime minister's attorney, who's telling you that this is a bullshit story and you don't want to see him hurt himself or his bosses, they're probably going to just be like, kill it. Because it doesn't mean anything to not kill it. You know, you're not going to get in legal trouble if you don't kill it. You're not going to get any blowback if you kill it. Um, but if you go through with it under the fear of retribution or under the fear of a superior legal team completely destroying you, I mean, that's enough for people to kill stories. You know, um, 
again, that's a conspiracy theory, I guess, but I can't uh, explain it otherwise. It's hard for me to get to a place where this like these legacy media outlets are beholden to this tiny yet kind of politically influential group. Like, you know. I do think people, though, they, I mean, it's like one of those things that you've said before is, right, it's religion, right? You don't touch the church. You don't touch religion, right? It's a, it's a. Yeah, yeah, that's just Christianity, though. Like, if sci- if Scientologists were in the front row at the Harper inauguration, and if he swore on the Dianetic book, I'm pretty sure people would be covering that story. Yeah, I think we're seeing sort of like a, a, a lack of appetite to attack Christian stuff. Yeah, and you know, because we we as a as a society have had our boots on the necks of Christians for far too long. But I mean, it is it is where society's at, right? So it is like I I came right out and told the police. I said we're drilling titanium. We're drilling through titanium to do what we need to do, and I mean, I am not blind or naive to the fact of what I'm going up against. But I'm not doing it alone. I'm not doing it alone, and um, I'm not going in with a vendetta against this church. That's not my that's not my point. My point I got is that covered. <laughs> right. Yeah, you do have that covered. Yeah. yeah. But it's not it's not about that. Right. Like it's I have nothing against Bruce Hales. I have nothing against the church. The thing Wait I have second, against. Like when you think about it, though, how could you have anything against that? <laughs> mm. It's accountability. It comes down to accountability. And there's many, 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 many years that Mr. Bruce Hales needs to be accountable for. Yes. If that is who they have in charge. Um, and we have letters that went through. I mean, Carmen's letter that was sent to him. Um, actually, it was John Hale's her letter it was sent to. But there's there's other people out there that have sent letters to even just Mr. Bruce Hales. So yeah. um, he's um, well aware I, of this. Yeah. Go, yeah oh, he's he's the Don. He's the Mafia. He's Tony Soprano. Um, we we have to go soon. But you know, I I, I like the idea of spotlighting Bruce Hales because of something. I think it was you, Richard, that told me about how, you know, lawsuits never really name him, right? They just name, they name like other elders, but there's no smoking gun that's in Bruce Hale's hand as far as the courts go. And a lot of that is because he's protected because the last thing that Bruce Hale wants is to be deposed. Is that correct? Is that fair? Yeah, no, the, 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 point, the point is that he, he, he's the one who actually controls everything, micromanages everything. But because he doesn't want any accountability and because nothing can ever be, must ever be blamed on him, uh, he issues instructions verbally um, to his sort of lackeys, his sort of immediate circle, and they probably make phone calls to the leading people in the different countries and the the different localities. Uh, And so kind of the last link back to the guy who's actually running it is always some kind of verbal instruction that leaves no paper trail, it leaves no electronic trail. So he thinks he's safe because anytime you try and trace something back, yeah, you might get pretty close to him. You might manage to pin the blame on one of his senior managers, but you can never actually trace it all the way back to the man himself. Um, well, that's why I, I think we, it's a little bit yeah. like... You know, President Truman had the famous plaque on his desk that says the buck stops here. And mm. I mean, that was that was a very good motto. But in, in Bruce's case, that plaque is a couple of desks down the corridor. The buck yeah. never gets anywhere near Bruce Hales. 
Well, no, um, only the Bucks get near him. Like the Bucks oh, stuffed the Bucks, in the envelopes. Well, the yeah. Bucks do, but yeah. the Bucks, Bucks stops with someone else. He has right. all these scapegoats. Yeah. But in, in this case, there's, there's a very interesting, um, something very interesting has happened here because there have been multiple letters sent to to Bruce Hales and, and John Hales telling him what was happening in Maple Creek, telling him about these horrendous things happening and, and we know he received them. And in fact, he even responded to them, but he did nothing about it. Uh, and that, of course, so it, it's a sin. It's a crime of omission. Um, oh, he hasn't yeah. done anything, but that indeed is the crime that he knew about this. And he didn't move to stop it. He didn't put it right. He didn't put these 17 young people back in their families where they belonged. And so finally, um, we've got a, a buck that has got all the way through to the desk of Bruce Hales. Yeah. Um, for all the ex-members that are listening right now, if anyone out there is good at, like, is diligent at researching quotes or documents or whatever, I, I want to see if I can find something that shows Bruce, Hale, Bruce Hales claiming to speak directly to Jesus so that oh, I can figure it. I just want to figure out a way to write about it so that, mm -hmm. Are we sure we want to put a lot of trust in this man? Are we sure we don't want to investigate him? Can we at least ask him to prove that he spoke to Jesus to do like a, a precedent-setting case where you will get charged with fraud if you legitimately claim? Like he makes it seem like Jesus has a number one foam finger with Bruce Hale's picture on it. Like that's no, what it, no, it's you know? not. It's they talk about um, in the in the language of the cult. They talk about corporeal appearings. And what a corporeal oh. appearing is, is not <laughs> just that Jesus speaks to you on the phone. He turns up in your living room in a physical body and, and talks to you. I, I'm not being Sorry. sarcastic. No, I'm no, I know. Right. But when you it's, said it's that, though. corporeal yeah. appearing. Yeah, yeah, it just sounds like, like a... He's like he's right behind you. And, and yeah, Bruce has seen him in the corner of the room. He said this. Um, yeah. And, you know... I'm laughing at the absurdity. I'm laughing at the absurdity. I'm not laughing because well, I is. think it's a, it is absurd. And yeah. presumably he comes to Bruce for advice as to what to do next. Um, you know, I'll talk to him. That's I'm my yeah. opening up that door is that. <laughs> hey, you know what? You want to make? I'm full blown. I'll already have a conversation with him. So Bruce, for Bruce every member like... inside the church that watches this podcast, yeah, yeah, he, I'm, he, I'm, he, my door's open. He's promoted like the. Um, like the Chuck Norris of religious people. I'm sorry, it was a pop culture reference, but there's so many Chuck Norris's Chuck Norris memes that make him like the ridiculously toughest person ever. Um, I, I can't remember one of them at this moment, but if you go look it up, it, some of them are actually pretty hilarious. But the whole point of the meme is that nothing can ever kill Chuck Norris. He's stronger than death itself, right? So to find out that Bruce Hales is like, like well, it sounds know, like Jesus will. slid a ranking. And Bruce is number one and Jesus is number two. He's like the consigliere yeah. or something. And I'm, that's what it feels like to me. Like, that's what I yeah. feel like for my mom to be so scared to not do anything about this. To me, that that in her mind, that's what it means is that she ranked the leader at that time higher than her connection she should have had in her heart with Christ. Like, that's that's what it looks like to me. And that's how it feels to me is that she ranked the church above my safety she ranked yeah. the church um the messenger that they had in the church at that time 
above my safety. Like it's just, it's such a hard pill to swallow when you sit down and get face to face with it. Like I have to in therapy, right? Is it is, it's just what kind of church has such power, has such coercion over a mother's love of a child. I mean, I know I was born on Halloween and I was all doomed from day one, but she still had to have loved me. She had to yeah. have loved me, but that love was overthrown for how lo- how many years this went on. It was overthrown by her fear of what would happen if she brought it to the police or if she brought it to. to and that, that I used just, to be just, blasphemy. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Well, you know, like putting a, a, a regular man above, above like, I mean, it, it's at least sacrilegious or something, isn't it? Like, you know. I'm not an yeah, expert on I'm an expert on criticizing religion, but I'm not really yeah. an expert on religion, right? So I, I but but when I hear this, I have the benefit of like knowing that you know there's a lot of mythical gods and a lot of them, you know, I, I don't I don't know which one is real. I don't think any of them are, but hey, one might be. That's great. A bunch of them might be. I have no idea. But to make the claim and to use that claim as a way to shield yourself, I think I, I feel like we sh- we should be I should be anyways exploring that as much as possible because it 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 feels like fraud. Um, I mean, in the United States, it's a different animal because like you have televangelists literally faking magical healings on camera for money, and they get away with it somehow. Um, Tax free, private jets, you know, it's the life. Um, anyways, guys, listen, I I think um, I think we're just at the beginning. I think you're right, Cheryl. Um, Richard, I you know, we're. Uh, Richard and I are writing a book, um, but Richard isn't writing the book. I'm writing the book, but I'm crediting him because I'm cheating by making him do all the research. <laughs> so I look at it like that, but you know, it, it's, it's my book deal, but it, it feels good to know that it, for at least the next couple of years, I'm going to be like, you know, ensconced in this with you guys. Um, and let's see if we can like, oh, sorry. Let's see if we can turn the cult into a church. You know, that's... Um, because you can't you know, eradicate it. You can't. And if we can't about, do that, we can go yeah. eradication. I'm, I support that fully. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, guys, thank you for joining us. We, we went a little late. I think there's a podcast waiting, so we do have to kind of oh, go. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, happy Friday, happy weekend, and uh, I'll talk to you guys probably over the weekend sometime. Sounds good. Take Thanks, care. Richard. Thanks, Cheryl. Bye. Okay. Um, when uh, when Richard was talking, no, when Cheryl was talking about how members put the organization above uh, above everything else, including Jesus, uh, including Bruce Hale, Bruce Hale would be above Jesus. I just got reminded of that scene in A Bronx Tale when he's talking. I think he was at confession, Colodro, when he was a kid, and he's like, "No offense, Father, but your guy may be big up there." But my guy's big down here. And the father's like, fair enough. Ten Hill Marys. Um, Ten Hill Marys, by the way, is the most standard uh, for that. But it does remind me of that. Like the, the, you know, the powerful on earth placing themselves above what a whole bunch of people, you know, believe in as God. Um, that is a weird power. And uh, I hope to destroy it. Despite the otherworldly good looks of one Bruce Hales. Yeah, but this is the guy. 
this is him. <laughs> this, is, this is when Jesus picks up his flip phone and he sees he sees that he sees the number for this person. You know, I wonder if he rolls his eyes or if he like looks at himself in the mirror just to make sure he looks good for when he talks to the leader. I, I mean, I can't believe I'm defending Jesus in a sense, uh, you know, from this man, but it, it's, it's so ridiculous to me. But the, I think the world has a lot of catching up to do as far as legislation goes when it comes to cults and things like that. But that's for another time. Um, everyone, I want you to have a good weekend. Uh, I hope that when I walk out my back deck, an anvil falls from the sky and then I just sleep in a coma for like, I don't know, at least a couple of days. I could use the sleep. Um, we have a bunch of stuff happening next week. Uh, I'll announce it maybe on Sunday. Big shout out to everybody in the chat. I, I looked over a couple times today and you weren't talking about recipes this time. So that was dope. No, but I love you guys. And we'll see you next time on Black. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Kids. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.